Church of Christ's weekly message podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. Today's message from Joel Nagel continues the Treasuring God series and is called Treasuring the Cross. I want to start this morning uh, by showing the picture that I ended with last Sunday. Um, the teens going, go for it, guys. Um, and this, uh, we talked about this at the end of the service last, last week. This is this icon this, uh, of St. James. Um, and we talked about how you can look at medieval art and see that the, the Bible itself, the Word of God, started to become like an ornamented treasure instead of being treasured and read as the Word of God itself where we should have a relationship with the Word of God, it often becomes a relic. It becomes more of a meaningless symbol instead of changing us as we read it, changing us day by day. This tendency to turn something life-changing from God into a meaningless symbol is not just true of the Word of God. I think maybe even more so it's true of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to talk about treasuring the cross. Next week will be our last sermon in this series um, of treasuring God. Uh, But today, treasuring the cross. A lot of times, instead of treasuring the cross, we turn the cross into a treasure, a a meaningless trophy. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with like wearing a cross, having a tattoo. we got a cross in the background here, some artwork. But I want us today to go from the cross as artwork to the cross as heartwork. Are you ready for this? Oh, man, here we go. Um, take it from a symbol to something that could change your whole life. That's what it should be. And so we've gone through this series and we've had uh, these different uh, sermon titles. These are all the things we've been talking about treasuring over the summer. Uh, And these are awesome things. These are things that will help you be closer to God, to help you have more meaning in your life if you treasure these things. But nothing has the power to change your life like treasuring the cross. Treasuring creation, vulnerability, the church, devotion, hope. Those are all good things. Not necessarily easy, but they're they're positive. Like you can look at this list and you can say, well, you know, even though some of those things are tough, I can see how they'd be beneficial. But treasuring the cross is almost nonsensical if you really understand what the cross is. It's, it's like a totally upside-down, backwards thing to do or way to live. If you truly understand and treasure the cross, well, you end up living a totally upside-down and backwards life. And I say amen to that. Tre- treasuring the cross changes everything. And so I want to begin today. We're just going to hang out in this one passage uh, in Matthew chapter 16. So if you can get to Matthew 16, you are with us. And sometimes preachers say, are you with me? 
But I won't even have to say that, because if you're in Matthew 16, you're with me. Let's get there. This, this passage is uh, a reminder of what the cross is. You know, there's a saying, you are what you eat, uh, which I guess makes me a strawberry quality dairy donut uh, this morning. Uh, but they also, you know, but really the, the sentiment behind that is you, you become what you treasure. The things that you place value on, you actually start to become those things. They make up who you are. And we see this in Jesus. You'll see this in this passage. He didn't just go to the cross. The cross was a part of his identity. The cross is who Jesus was, and we're going to see that here. So let's, let's read this, this passage. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly challenged the, charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right, so that is a loaded passage right there, right? So we're going to just park right here for for the message today. Uh, It's incredible. And I think um, if you've been around our church for a while, you're probably very familiar with verse 24, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. But I think seeing the whole context of it is so valuable. Um, you know, there, there are some prophecies in the Old Testament that allude to the cross of Christ, and they're amazing. Uh, in the Psalms, in the book of Isaiah, um, some, of, some of these prophecies, they vividly describe crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented by the Assyrians. Like, it's incredible, and it's so faith-building to read those passages. But what we just read here is not some ancient prophecy about the cross. 
This is the first time in the Bible that we hear Jesus talk about the cross. Here's the setting of it. So he's just had this talk about identity with his disciples. Um, they do this, it says the very first verse, in Caesarea Philippi. And um, Caesarea Philippi is a place, uh, Doug and I actually went there when we went to Israel. Uh, it, is, it was like all of the idols were there. Like you could worship whatever you wanted. A statue to every single god, a temple to Zeus, uh, an actual cave with a river flowing out of it that they called the gates of hell, the gates to Hades. And so when Jesus says, on this kingdom, I, you know, the gates of Hades won't overcome it, Peter was probably like, you mean those? Okay, this is awesome. Um, like they were there at this place with idols everywhere. And so Jesus says, hey, who do people say I am? And there are literally all these things to choose from in this place. And they say, well, hey, people are saying you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets, but who do you say I am? And Peter in this place says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. That's an incredible setting and an incredible thing to say. This is good. Peter's right. Jesus is like, that, that answer came from heaven. You're right. Hey, I'm going to give you, here's some keys to the kingdom. Good job. Good answer. That's right. But there's more to it. It doesn't just end there. Because there's something that Jesus wants his disciples to know about him. It says, from that time on, sorry, right after that, from that time on, Jesus wanted his disciples to know that his identity was not just to be the son of the living God or the founder of a new kingdom, but that suffering was central to who he was. From that, after that proclamation, you're the Christ, the son of God. You think, well, let's have a parade. But instead, from that time on, Jesus says, hey, listen, i got to go to Jerusalem. It's going to be really bad, and I'm going to be killed. Central to the identity of Jesus Christ is suffering. If you think about you know, the current struggle that our society is having with identity, and you compare it to this passage where Jesus says suffering is a part, from this time on, I want you to know, suffering is a part of my identity. It's like it's coming from a whole different planet. The difference, okay? Even in this time, back then, Peter is offended by the whole, he's like, what do you mean? You're the, I just proclaimed you the Christ, the living God. You just gave me keys. And it's like Peter's like, okay, I got the keys to the kingdom. Let's take these for a test drive. He pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him for saying that he's going to suffer and die on the cross. And Jesus is like, give me those keys back for a second. Uh, you're grounded. You're done. Um, actually, he says, get behind me, Satan. That's even worse, right? But Peter can't fathom the idea that, that the living God would suffer even an ounce, let alone that it would be a defining feature of who Jesus is. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He looks at Peter. He proclaims that a person who sees Jesus, but doesn't see the suffering of Jesus, is satanic and worldly in their thinking. You can't separate the two. And then he turns and addresses all of his disciples. 
Before we get to that, we'll, we'll park on that in a moment, but, but before that, I want to talk about this. Jesus and the cross are inseparable. The Son of God and suffering go hand in hand. Isaiah prophesied that, this, that the, the Savior would be a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. We take communion every week. We're going to take communion after this message. And why do we take communion? Because Jesus asked us to remember his broken body and his poured out blood, the suffering. He could have asked us to remember his teachings or his miracles. But it's the suffering that he wants us to remember. That he literally wants us to internalize during communion. I think even with that weekly reminder, though, we still have a tendency to separate Jesus from the cross. I think we stumble into the same fallacy of Peter that Christ, and therefore his Christians, should have it easier. It should be better for us. This should be glory all the time. Conquering, not suffering. But Jesus makes sure, in this moment, He makes sure that His disciples know that there's no Christ without the cross. There's no Son of Man without the suffering. There's no crown without the thorns. This is the DNA, the identity of, of Jesus Christ whom we've gathered to worship this morning. If I asked you, if I asked you the question that Jesus asked, if I said, hey, who is Jesus? You could say, he was a great teacher. He did amazing miracles. He's the Savior of the world. And you'd be right with all of those answers, but not totally right. Because Jesus himself would want you to add something. He would say, nope, you're missing the most important part of who I am, and that is that he was abandoned and betrayed by his closest friends. People were paid to lie about him during a false trial. He was mocked and he was beaten. A known murderer was released instead of him to a riotous mob. He was flogged by leather whips. He was made to carry the crossbeam of the cross and fell underneath its weight. He was nailed to a cross on a hill at the edge of Jerusalem in a public display of justice that was the greatest injustice of all. And as he bled and suffocated, he was mocked even by the people dying on his right and on his left and by the soldiers below him and the religious leaders. And even in all of that, he did not sin. That's not just something that happened to Jesus. Jesus wants you to know that that is who he is. That's part of the answer to the question, who do they say I am? And we dare not sanitize it. Jesus did not come down from the cross, even when goaded and mocked. If you're really the Savior, come on down from the cross, prove it to us. But 2,000 years later, have we taken him down from the cross ourselves? Have you taken Jesus off the cross? No, I think we want to say no to that, but it's not. I don't know if it's something that we can consciously answer. 
I think intellectually we understand the cross. We see Jesus on the cross. But that's different than internalizing the gospel and who Jesus really is. Here's a different way of asking that question. Have you taken Jesus off the cross? A different way to say that is, how do you handle suffering? How do you handle suffering? You know, the gospel tells us that God created a good world. Sin has corrupted it. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection has made it possible for us to be saved, but we still live in a sin-filled world. We're still going to face suffering until Jesus comes back to restore everything. Suffering is not just a part of, of Jesus. It's a feature of life in this world. It's so amazing that Jesus teaches us how to handle suffering because that's part of what this is. The Bible doesn't ignore it. It actually gives us the most amazing answer. Jesus himself on the cross. And so suffering is a part of our identity too, isn't it? We, if, you know, if you get to, if anybody here, if you really got to know somebody, this, the story of their life would ultimately be like, oh, you know, here's something really hard that I went through. Or here's something really hard I'm going through right now part of our lives. How do you handle it? You know, Paul, he told the Thessalonian Christians, we do not grieve as others. There's something that's supposed to be different about the way we handle suffering. Um, in Revelation chapter 6, if you guys would let me go down a little rabbit hole right here. I love the book of Revelation. I don't get to talk about it enough, but I was like, let's do it. Um, in Revelation 6, there's this symbolic and beautiful and haunting section where these scrolls are unrolled. And it's the, the lamb. Jesus himself is in charge of, unscrolling, of unrolling all these. And each scroll, in a very Revelation way, describes a different kind of suffering um, that's devastating yet common. And so it starts with, if you guys ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Right? It's, uh, those are mutants in the X-Men universe. No. Um, it's, uh, they took that right from Revelation. Um, but th- it starts with, with what we call that. Um, and, but, th- but they're not really, um, it's not really about the apocalypse. Anyway, uh, it starts with war. So, do you have, do we have war in our world today? Yeah, that's not apocalyptic. It's life. There's war. And then it goes on to murder. We have, uh, murder, it's, it's here. Famine, we don't see that a whole lot here, but in our world there are many people suffering famine, death. Those are the first four scrolls. And then the fifth scroll is martyrdom. We don't see that here, but there, there are Christian martyrs. People will die today for their faith in Christ. The sixth scroll is natural disasters. We see that. Um, and then there's this pause before the seventh seal. And you guys can read this on your own. You'll be really confused and it'll be fine. Um, but there's this pause. And in the pause before the seventh seal of seven is, is, un, uh, is unsealed, we're introduced to the people of God. It's like we're there, okay? And what are the people of God doing when there's war and murder and famine and death and martyrdom and natural disasters? What do we do? The people of God, the people who identify with Jesus Christ, we would like to think, you'd like to think that in Revelation, well, they are sheltered from all that suffering because they have Jesus. Of course, right? That would make sense. Like we make up this promise that things are going to be easier for the Christians. 
In Revelation, there is a difference between the Christians and the non-Christians. But it's not the amount of suffering. The pause in between shows not that they, have, that they suffer less, but that they respond differently to the suffering. And so what happens between the sixth and seventh seal is so amazing. It's like a worship service breaks out in the midst of war and famine and natural disasters. God's people are just singing. And they're affected by all that stuff. We don't get to just walk through life unaffected. But we respond different. We can worship on the way. They're singing praises to God. They're baptizing people. They're staying righteous and faithful even as they face persecution. They're silencing the heavens with faithful prayers. And they're being heard by their God. What they're not doing is they're not throwing up their hands and saying, why is this world so messed up? I'm a Christian. They're not railing against the government. And their government was the Roman Empire, a terribly oppressive totalitarian regime. They're not wondering, where is the good in this world? They're too busy being the good in this world. They understand the cross. They treasure the cross. So how do you handle hardship and suffering? What does the world see when you face difficulty? When we treasure the cross, the world gets to see Jesus. Because the cross is not just his identity. It's the DNA of anyone who would follow him. That's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. After he rebukes Peter, verse 24, we read this. It says, then he told his disciples, get behind me, Satan. And then he looked at his disciples and he said, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross isn't just Jesus, it's us. The cross is not a treasure, but for those who treasure it, it's a total change of mindset. You know, we have, uh, I think probably unfortunately, but more and more in our world, you know, we've got the, the virtual reality things going on, you know, and they're like big honking. Like, I'm waiting for people to like walk down the street with those. That's, I think, it's coming. But they need to make them smaller, right? Cooler, right? It needs to get cooler. Anyway, uh, but it's like augmented reality, all this stuff. Um, and it's, it's a thing. Here's the thing. Christians who treasure the cross have been living in an augmented reality for centuries. When you treasure the cross, you see everything differently. We're walking in the same world, but we're seeing it all different. You know, uh, somebody who's just like blowing my mind, and other people too right now, who's, you can just see, you can see, and it's so inspiring when somebody treasures the cross, and that's, and that's Jason Sanderson. I want to talk about Jason for a minute. Um, Jason, uh, you know, he was here as a member uh, for, for a long time, moved away. Uh, but when he was a member, uh, before he moved away, he was, he'll tell you himself, he, was just, he wasn't even sure if he really believed in God. But he's here, he's coming. Life happened when he moved away. Um, things got difficult. He's come back, and it's, it, it, he hasn't come back to like, oh, this is so much easier now. It's been super tough. 
major struggle. He's, he's trying to uh, take care of his kids, and, and he's like, everything I'm doing right now is for my kids. Um, he's, uh, he's fighting to have a relationship with God. He's studying the Bible, praying, like to go from not being sure about God, and then to have things get way harder, and then being more sure about God. That is, that is awesome. Um, and things, are, things start to go good, and if you have a worldly mindset, you're like, okay, I'm believing in God, and that makes things easier. But then he gets hit by a car. Because um, that, that's now you don't believe in God and things get easier. You believe in God and you can handle the hard things. And, it's, and it's so, you know, he's got the brace on, but he's smiling. He's like, I'm taking every day one at a time. God's awesome. It's, he's, it's totally God. He's, he's ministering to his family. It's so inspirational, Jason. Uh, if you get a chance to fellowship with him, he's got the brace on because he got hit by a car. Uh, but he's a delight, a joy. He's treasuring the cross, and it's inspirational. You know, I, I don't know if you, uh, when you got in your car today, if you thought, I'm going to go listen to a message about suffering. Let's talk about suffering. Yes! You came to, be, you came to church to be inspired. But it's so inspiring to see someone who suffers well. It's like the most inspiring thing. We love to see it in other people. You love to see it. But when it's us, it's a little tougher. You know, we love to see it. Football season's coming up. You get, you know, that, that running back who breaks that tackle, just a huge hit, but keeps going. We're like, yes! But you're the, this guy just got destroyed, and you're so happy about it. Because you love to see somebody overcome a struggle. Uh, we had the Lake George Quad. I, every year there's a shout-out for the Lake George Quad, a little race we do in our backyard. And people, for a hat, come and, and to, to earn a hat, come and suffer, swimming, kayaking, running, mountain biking. Um, and, you know, I even thought this year, I'm coming down, and I'm like, I, last year my pictures, I really looked like I was struggling. Actually, the past few years, like I never like get a good picture. I'm just like, oh, like that. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to smile. I'm going to look like I'm enjoying this. Um, and I don't know how the pictures turned out, but I tried, you know, I wanted to look good while I was suffering. You think about like the, the best book you've ever read. Think about some of the, your favorite movies that you've watched. Isn't, isn't it this what it's all about? Like seeing someone overcome the struggle? Can you imagine if there was a movie where there were no setbacks? Nobody had to overcome anything. It would be the most boring thing ever. You're just like, what, what is happening? Nothing is happening. This is God. The reason we love those, those stories is because it's gospel. It's the story of our whole world. Overcoming hardship. Being better than the struggle. We love it in other people. We love it in media. But when we become the star, and we inevitably become the star because it's gospel, when we're the chance to be the hero, when we have that chance to be the hero, how do you respond? If you treasure the cross... If you identify as a Christ follower, then you truly have a superpower. Maybe the only real superpower that there is, and that is the perspective of the cross of Jesus Christ when suffering. That's an amazing thing. It's so inspiring and it's so real. Like what we see in Jason.
Like you see in the Christians in Revelation, they're singing through the sorrow. They're baptizing in the battles. They're staying faithful in the fire. They're praying through their problems, and they're coming out of chaos more connected to Christ. We don't need to just be inspired by heroes. We get to be heroic when we treasure the cross. We get to inspire when we suffer. I'll just read this last passage here in Hebrews chapter 12. Just to get a little bit of the mindset that makes this possible. And it's up on the screen for you. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and this it's talking about the chapter before where, where the Hebrew writer talks about all the Old Testament heroes of faith. But we're surrounded here by a great cloud of witnesses. Get to know each other, get to know people's stories, and you know that people have faithfully overcome amazing things. He says, just, just as we're surrounded by witnesses, people who have suffered and overcome, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And here's the key. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't just go to the cross. He didn't have to be crucified for the joy set before him. Jesus treasured the cross. And not because he like wanted to get nailed to a piece of wood. Because he treasured each of you. Because he wanted you to have this super ability to make it through the suffering of this life in a heroic and amazing way. And so the Hebrew writer goes on and says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You got this. You can do it, church of the cross, in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. If you're like, when do I, when do I end this struggle? Oh, you're bleeding. Uh, like, like a dad whose kid falls off a bike. Are you bleeding? Come on, get back on the bike. The cross is the answer. Obviously, some meaningless symbol like the cross, that, that's not the answer. But treasuring the cross, letting yourself, letting yourself be defined by the cross. Who am I? I'm a Christian. That means my life is defined by the cross. Seeing the world through the lens of the cross, that will change everything. It changes how we see the small struggles we face every day. It can change the big struggles we face in our lives and even the things we see in our society. It has the power to take something as bad and as painful as suffering and make it a joy. Brothers and sisters, let's treasure the cross. I'm going to pray right now and we'll take communion and we will treasure the cross as we pray to God and connect with God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you so much for the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, even as we think about the suffering that we go through, and I, I know that every single person who's listening to this message uh, has something, uh, not just something in their past that's been a struggle, but something right now. We're all going through something. Um, and, and to think that there could be a universal answer for what we're all struggling with uh, is, is unfathomable. But yet you've, you've given it to us. You've given it to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray uh, that, 
you know, as, as tough as the things we might be facing are or that we have faced, or even things we're feeling from things in the past, um, Lord, I pray that we could have this perspective of the cross, that, that Jesus didn't just come to suffer like us, but he suffered even more. Whatever our greatest suffering is, God, the, the cross is the greatest. And that was your will. And so I just thank you for that, God. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's incredible. Um, the story of the gospel uh, hits every single heart, and I, just, and I praise you for that. I pray that right now we could connect, uh, that we could, we could take our, our suffering to Jesus. We could see that, uh, that it might not go away, but, the, the, but that some of the pain and the perspective that we can have is there for us, waiting at the foot of the cross. We thank you for, for the body broken, the blood poured out, uh, that is our salvation and is our perspective on life. May we uh, not just be people who talk about the cross or know about the cross, but who identify with the cross of Jesus Christ in our lives. Um, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God. Thank you.